Gospel of John, chapter 11. Book of John, different from the other three Gospels, half of the book of John being dedicated to the final week of Christ's life. Today we're going to look at the miracle that broke the back of the religious, the miracle that sort of set everything in motion. As we look at the miracle of Lazarus of Bethany and Verse 1 of John chapter 11 says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters went to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judah again. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, just speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, have your way in this house in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. The story of Lazarus has to be one of the most famous stories in Jesus' life and in the Gospels. Rightfully so, it was one of those stories that was just perfectly timed. And we're going to just kind of look at that and sort of just look at a little bit of the significance and the timing of when this miracle had taken place. Lazarus was the brother of Martha and Mary. We know a lot about Martha and Mary, especially we Mary Martha tends to get the bad rap. Mary tends to be the one that we think of as, you know, the more holy one and and this was Lazarus. So this family was very important to Christ. It's a it's a beautiful picture as to how Jesus embraced this family. There was there was other families, there was other people, obviously, with his disciples that Jesus embraced, but but this family was obviously special to Christ. Their first encounter was when Martha in Luke chapter 10, when Martha approached Jesus, where it says in verse 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that they entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her house. And so Martha, as we'll look at a little bit later, sometimes gets the bad rap, but man, I like Martha. Martha here being very proactive, 
When Jesus entered this town, I mean, came out to him with boldness and said, Jesus, I want you in my house. This was a controversial, this wasn't something that was just, oh yeah, let's just go invite the teacher into our house. I mean, it took courage, it took boldness for this woman to approach and to invite the Lord into her house. Having no idea at the moment of invitation that this acceptance of invitation was going to then form a relationship and that this relationship was going to inevitably be instrumental in Jesus coming and working this miracle in her brother Lazarus's life. You know, there's, there's so many things connected in our life and in our journey that flow from that initial invitation of Jesus into our house. Can somebody say amen? As I was talking again, you know, last week we mentioned week before that, if they, if they only knew, they being everybody out there, if they only knew the benefits that flowed from inviting Christ into your house, obviously the house now being our heart, of course the homes that we have roofs over our heads, we want Christ to be welcome there, but it starts with inviting him into our hearts When Jesus, in verse 4, going back to our text today, and we're just going to go through this story scripture by scripture and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Sometimes you have a message with a defined sort of ending that you think, and other times you just have one that says, okay, Lord, what are you going to speak to us through your word today? Can somebody say amen? Amen. And in verse 4, Jesus heard that and he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You know, this is a a hard saying, and we could sort of paraphrase it, still being correct in saying that in this instance, Pertaining to Lazarus and perhaps many of our lives and journeys, this sickness is for the glory of God. Because we know that all sickness entered into this world, this life, at the fall and disobedience of man. I mean, man walked in the garden naked and being covered by innocence. Prior to the disobedience and prior to the fall and prior to sin and sickness, man just walked naked through the garden and his innocence, her, Eve's innocence, covered them. They had no idea of their nakedness. We know that all throughout the Word of God, that sickness, even in the Old Testament, that sickness was defeated through the scriptures and by the word of the Lord, and now ultimately through the victory in the resurrection of Christ Jesus our Lord. Yet at the same time, if we look at it just real and just speak a little plainly 
here today and not theologically always. Sickness is one of those things that, that many of us, if not all of us, will have to inevitably at some point in our life have to deal with, have to look at it square in the eyes, whether it's in our own body, in our own life, whether it's in somebody's life that is dear and near to us, whether it's somebody who is an associate of somebody who is dear and near to us. Sickness is one of those aspects of life that we're going to have to walk through in faith at some point. Can somebody say amen? Amen. True statement or false statement? True. True statement. And we have this scripture in our our hearts today where it says that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We know that all challenges, all aspects of our life, ultimately at the end of the day, are for Jesus to be glorified through them in our lives. It's not always that glorious in the midst of them. Can somebody say amen to that? It's hard. Loss is hard. I want to make a a little note and just acknowledge that this topic is very sensitive and can hit very close to home for, for many of us. But we want to address it and we want to just dive into the word of the Lord and say, God, say, Jesus, open my understanding. Let faith arise in my heart, and Jesus, may you be glorified through every one of these opportunities in my life. There are so many ways that Jesus can be glorified through sickness. Hear me today where we've already said, and I'll say it again, and I might have to say it two or three more times if I look at some of your faces, and I think I need to. That not for a moment am I saying that Jesus is bringing or causing or brought sickness into this world, but just simply for whatever reason saying that it's something that we inevitably have to deal with. And there's so many different ways, and and we could not number all the different ways that Jesus is glorified through these sicknesses that we, our loved ones, have to face Some, as I've recently heard, the miracles are some early detection of life-threatening ailments, the miracle of of just somehow stumbling upon, wow, that's in my body? Let's get that out of here. And there being a miracle that takes place through medical advancements and technology, whether it's as the story that is still sticking in my mind from Pastor Aaron last week, how he took this little ignorant, you know, new young man of God and laid his hands on that tumor and just, you know, after that woman who was sick taught him how to pray. (laughs) For everybody who was here last week, the woman, she's like, this sickness is killing me. Die. Pray like I am your mother. And as he began to pray, and whether, of course, his prayer had something to do with it, but that Jesus would be glorified had everything to do with it. As that tumor began to shrink in his hand, and as he put it, fell into the palm of his hand, and he dropped it immediately. 
on the ground, whether it's the disappearance of, of evidence of sickness or tumors that once was apparent on a scan that all of a sudden the next scan, MRI, just whatever, just disappears. Whether it's as Jesus with Peter's mother-in-law, the, the immediate recovery of something just as, as common as a cold or a flu that obviously in our day and age with, with the new diseases that we're having to face and look at square in the eyes that, that we're believing God for covering and for that God cares about these sort of diseases and sicknesses in our lives. Whether it might just be the extension of life like King Hezekiah, where he just says, you got another 20 years. As I often say about sickness and about healing, any healing, any miracle as pertain to sickness is all simply an extension of life to fulfill our number of days. If the Lord would tarry and not come back while we're yet living, all of us are going to come to the fulfillment of our days here on this planet, and we're all going to find ourselves going back to the dirt from which we came. Of course, to be raised up on that day when the trumpet sounds. Somebody say amen. amen. But we're talking about the case of Lazarus today. And we're seeing the heart of God and we're, we're digging through some ways of how to understand and how to think through how God deals with how he views some of these important and even tragic moments in our life. It's important. It's important, even vital, to stay in faith as we walk through times of sickness in our life. Stay in faith. Figure out a way day by day to keep yourself in faith and in the peace of God in your journey through sickness. Jesus' response to Lazarus' case. It was an interesting one. Because it says right here that when Jesus had heard it says first in verse 5, chapter 11, that Jesus loved Martha, his, her sister, and Lazarus. Important, important verse right there. Jesus loved this family. He loved this family. Verse 6 in this translation that I'm reading from, that I think it's the, just the New King James, nothing special about it but, it, but it gives a little bit of emphasis as we go into verse 6. He loved this family so Everybody say so. There's a little bit of emphasis there in between he loved this family so. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I mean, this, this was not the response that any of us would be looking from from the Lord when he loves us so much. And we're in a dire situation. And he loved him so much that he just stayed where he was. It was almost as if, obviously, he, he's not deaf, so we, we know the Lord heard. 
But he loved them so much that he waited. Jesus' initial response to hearing the news of Lazarus' sickness is one of the strangest aspects of this story, if not one of the strangest responses in the Word of God. Jesus loved, so he did nothing at that moment. He stayed there two more days. We know the story. We don't need to drag it out too too much. Simply to say that this is a funny way to show love. Somebody is sick, urgently sick in your life. We know that we feel the best way to show love is to respond as quickly as possible with prayers, with calls, with visits, with support, anything that we can to show that there is support to lift up faith, to build faith for healing. But Jesus waited, and in hindsight, of course, we have that, we have that benefit and that privilege now to be able to look at the entirety of the story And not just the first part of the story. The thing is with our life, though, is that many times when we're having to walk through this in our life, we're only seeing one part of the story. We're seeing the first part of the report to Jesus that Lazarus is sick in that initial response of the Lord in your life. Now we get the benefit of seeing the entire context. But what part are we at some stages and at some parts of these journeys that we have to walk through. Why was Jesus waiting? We could look at a whole number of guesses. The word of God gives us at least one major revelation where Jesus tells his disciples in verse 15, he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. So we could, we could look at all different, we could phrase it and say it in all sorts of different ways. We could be nice. We could be a little bit direct with it. But the bottom line, Jesus was waiting for Lazarus to die. That's in this context, in this story. That is looking from the final thing that happened forward. Jesus was obviously waiting for Lazarus to die. This was an important miracle that had to take place. Rushing to Lazarus and just healing his sickness was not going to be a mighty enough miracle to stir the masses throughout history to believe or the religious to execute ultimately what was in their heart in the sovereign plan of God to do. This miracle was going to be the catalyst that was going to set the religious hearts like a flint against Christ and to bring him to death and was going to be one of these great miracles that would be told for all time that would give you and I hope that God has and is in control of every situation in our life. 
God had a plan. He obviously had a timing. And both his plan and his timing need to be aligned perfectly to be fulfilled in Lazarus's life and I believe in each one of our lives. In Psalms chapter 40, verses 1 through 3, where we started today's service, simply says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to hear those words today. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me. You see, Jesus comes, our heavenly father, the spirit of the Lord comes and inclines to us and responds to our cry in his perfect timing. Consider all the number of times throughout the word of God where, where men and women had to wait patiently for the Lord. Not operating on, on man's timing. None of us would ever go through anything in life. Because you would have none of it. You'd be like, Lord, pull the lever, put in the magic coin, you know, do whatever, make it go, disappear. You know, at the first little feeling of a headache coming on. We would never go through anything. Think about that for a minute. You would never go through anything. We're refined in the fire. Our faith is refined as gold in the fire. Yet if it was up to us, we would never be in the fire. We'd just pull ourselves out every time. Boop. Nope, no fire for me. Nope, oh, Lord, I'm not in the... I'm tired, Lord, this week. I, I don't want to... No fire this week. Because that fire always comes. I mean, it, it also doesn't come at an opt- opt- opportune time. No fire this week, Lord. He's like, oh, is next week okay to schedule it? No, no, I'm good next week too, Lord. Can we put it off to next year? And then, you know, that vacation gets canceled again. We would never, we would never willingly put ourselves in the fire to be refined. But God has a timing and a plan. We consider all the men and women. I think of Joseph and left from dead, sold to slavery, sentenced to prison. All this so that at the end of it all, he could be the savior to his family. And I think of Joseph mainly why he came to my heart is because of what he named his first child, Manasseh. God made me forget. Manasseh, God made me forget. It's an amazing thing. It's one of the greatest miracles that not just the, whether it's a miracle in your body, whether it's more importantly the miracle, the salvation of your soul, which by the way is more important than the healing in our body. Can somebody say amen? But you could be waiting for, for months. You could be waiting for years 
You could be waiting for, for decades. And then all of a sudden, God shows up one day. He meets you in that place of need. And then in a moment of time, Manessa, God made me forget. God just comes and he, he washes away and he wipes away no matter how much, how much torment and struggle and, and misery. In a moment of time, he just shows up in his timing according to his plan. In a moment of time, he just wipes the memory clear and he makes us forget. And he gives us a fresh start and a clean slate and a heart full of faith to move forward. Sometimes things just have to happen in a certain order, the God sort of order, so that we can believe when Jesus shows up and gets us through them. So that the Son may be glorified. Going through the process of believing, having faith, trusting in the Lord. This process of of growth in our lives. Learning how to know that, that Jesus is faithful. Not like the first response, and again, we're not going to pick on Neither Martha or Mary today, but oh Lord, if, if you were only here. We'll get to that in a moment. Learning to use your faith. These times of waiting are times to learn to use your faith. To each one of us, we have to figure out what it means to put faith into action. There's no, there's no similar, there's not, what I do and how I respond is, is, might not be the formula as to how you respond and the things that you need to do. Each one of us have to, have to find faith. We have to get in that secret place and we have to hear the voice of God. We have to have the word of God residing in our hearts. And each one of us, as we wait patiently for the Lord, we have to learn to use the faith that Jesus has placed in your life. This story is a story that's building our faith in Christ. Learning how to trust in the Lord. Waiting for when it's time for Jesus to just show up. Verse 17, John 11. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already, he, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb for four days. Try to do the math on that real quick. He waited two days. He, they came to him. So it was a journey. They, you know me and the numbers. Came to him, the journey. He waited two days, and he had the journey to get there. He gets there four days. Lazarus is in the tomb. 
tells me that he might have been in the tomb anyway, even if Jesus would have responded immediately. Because they came to him and said he was sick, not that he was dead. Verse 18. We're not going to mess with that today. Verse 18. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. You know, i got to make an observation about Mary and Martha here. I'm telling you, Martha gets the bad rap way too often. Oh, but Lord, you know, Martha's complaining to Jesus. I've got all the work. Mary's just sitting at your feet. Oh, Mary has chosen the right thing to do, right? So we're like, okay, do as Mary does. Well, I think they kind of complete one another. I mean, I really do. I think that, I mean... Martha was Martha was the one who who just had that sort of that unction just to like Martha was the one that just went out there and just put it all out on the line. How many of how many Marthas do we have in the house? And I'm not saying that in a bad way today. Imagine that. I'm saying that in a good way. How many Marthas do we have in the house? I'm going to say I'm a Martha. I'm a Martha. I'm working at being a Mary. I I sort of naturally sort of fall to being more like Martha. Martha went out and met Jesus, pulled him in the house, established this relationship with her family. Now they have this connection over time to where Jesus is at the grave site. I mean, Jesus is coming for a, a grave site funeral. I mean, this is a special thing. Martha's out there, so where, where's Mary when Jesus is coming and, and Martha runs out to Jesus? Where's Mary? She's still at home sitting. <laughs> Mary, Mary, hey, listen, we're not, not going to take anything away from Mary because Jesus, Jesus affirmed Mary, but for whatever, Mary was a sitter, Martha was a runner. We see in multiple times where Mary's just sitting around, right? Mary was, her, her personality traits, her characteristics, she was more prone, it appears to me, to be that one who was able to sit and be patient, whether Jesus was in the house or in this case, he wasn't in the house and she's still just sitting there around. And here Martha comes. Martha's running out there. Now Martha finds, finds Jesus. And now, and now Martha is now coming and secretly running to Mary. Hey, it's time to get up. Jesus is here. <laughs> so then Mary's like, okay, if I must. Mary gets up. And I think somehow we need Mary's and Martha's in, in the house of the Lord. I think we need I think we need Mary's and Martha's. It's one revelation for for today. So Martha comes out and gets Jesus and they come on to the grave. Let's let's go on to verse 32. We're in John chapter 11 verse 32 through 34. Then when Mary came, Mary got there. Mary got there eventually. 
Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping in the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? There's something that just switched right here that we, we can learn from today. We can, the Spirit of God can just speak to something to, to, to us today that when Jesus showed up and, and Mary comes out, well, Mary has this, Mary has this grieving, crying, just if you had only been here attitude. It, with all of Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, she had yet come to the realization of what Jesus had told them and the message that he had sent to them that I am the resurrection and the life. It makes no difference whether I'm here four days earlier or if I'm here four days later. I am the resurrection. And they had not yet got that revelation yet. Mary, in this case specifically, had not got the revelation that Jesus was the resurrection, the power of God, the one who brings new life no matter what stage of death your life is in. Hallelujah. It says that he groaned. It says that he was troubled. Don't think for a moment that this was a, a, a happy, sad, grieving for Lazarus type of groan. No, this groan was the type of groan that a daddy groans at a kid when the kid is yet listening to mommy and daddy take out the trash for number 12th time. And the daddy's like, clean the dishes for the 150th time. Make your bed. This is the type of groan that is not one that is a, a happy groan if there was such a thing. This is one that when we go and look at this definition, brace yourself, hold on to your chair. It says to one definition is to snort with anger. One definition is to have indignation. One is to, one is to sigh or to charge or to murmur against or to charge with earnest admission, to sternly charge. This was a, oh, you still don't believe. Oh, how long am I going to have to wait for y'all to hear me? Oh, Mary, you're sitting at my feet. This was that type of groan. It was a type of troubling. This, this was to be followed by, followed by that, that famous scripture, Jesus wept. Jesus weeping, oh, he, and as everybody began to say, as we often misinterpret Jesus' response, as first they misinterpreted why he didn't come immediately like we sometimes do in our life. Why didn't I just get healed immediately? Why did so-and-so not get healed? Why is this my loved one, me? Why are they not getting saved? Why is this tragedy thing happening? Why is this hard rock situation going on in my life? And we misjudge the situation. Well, here they are misjudging Jesus again. 
If you'd only responded when I called to you the first time, Jesus, then none of this trouble would have happened. I mean, I, I sent message. I mean, I prayed, Lord. I prayed. And it just didn't. Come on, Lord. I'm snapping here. And now he's groaning and upset. Now he's weeping. And they say, oh, he, he loved Lazarus so much. Look at him crying because he loved Lazarus. I have a different interpretation of Jesus' weeping. His weeping was not, was not a weeping of loss for Lazarus. Let's read it before we, I just go on with my just ramblings. And he said to them, where have you laid him in verse 34? And they said to him, Lord, come see. 35, John 11, Jesus wept. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And some of them said, could not this man who opened up the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And now they're throwing accusations. Lord, you didn't even do your duty. I mean, you can heal a blind guy, but you can't keep your best friend from dying. Then Jesus again groaning, second groaning. I mean, Jesus have a groaning fest here. I mean, he's like, he's at his, he's like at his wit's end. And he's not sinning, remember, he's perfect, but he's like, ooh, I mean, he's like verbally, outwardly groaning to the point that's acknowledged twice, and they're writing it, they're hearing it, they're seeing it. I mean, tears, groans, and it's all because they're not believing him. They're not believing him. He's not crying because Lazarus is dead. He knew what he was going to do with Lazarus before time as we knew it began. He knew what he was going to do with Lazarus's sickness, which led to death, which led to four days in the grave before the messenger came and found him and said, oh, Lazarus is sick. He's not crying about something that he already long had the solution about what he was going to do with that situation. But here, those, and we're not just talking about random people in his life. We're talking about those who were closest with him that he had to get this message of the gospel. He had to get the very essence, the very essence of what it means to be a man and woman of faith. The very core is that you have to believe the words that I speak to you. You've got to believe them. You can't go and twist him and, and try to make excuses for me. If you'd only been here, Lord, we know that you could have done something. As if at the point of that last breath, that Jesus' sovereignty and his deity stopped and he could no longer affect the situation any longer. He looks at them and he said a powerful word I'm going to say to you today. He said, did I not say to you? Did I not 
say to you that if you would believe, verse 40, John 11, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. If you would believe. It just, it's summed up. It's summed up in this simple, profound statement. Did I not say? Let me ask you, what is the last thing that Jesus said to you? What has Jesus spoken to you? I, I don't know. I mean, you can, you can know. If you don't know, you can know. But many of us know. What is the last thing that he spoke to you? Did I not say? Whether it was something that we heard from the word of God, whether it's some sort of rhema word from the word of God that he speaks to our heart. Did I not say, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So many times we're out running around looking for the next word. We're looking for the next understanding or in this case excuse to somehow try to justify Jesus' late arrival. And Jesus goes right back to him with a groaning, with a weeping, obviously moved, obviously stirred in spirit. If you would only believe. It was this miracle from raising Lazarus from the grave. That was the final act. It was the final miracle that broke the back of the righteous. They, They couldn't take it of the religious. They couldn't take it any longer. They couldn't handle the, the, the mightiness, the greatness, a miracle that defies all other natural aspects of life. Take the stone away from its place, from where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. The Father always hears Jesus. We can know that when we pray in the name of Jesus, he always hears us. Can somebody say amen? Amen. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they might believe. We're getting just to the core that we would believe and we would see the glory of God. And now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died four days earlier came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Listen, I know that sometimes believing God and trusting God does not always work out the exact way that we want it to work out every time. 
But what this passage and what this story of faith is, is firming up in our hearts that we as a people, we have to not only believe, but we have to continue believing God throughout every situation and circumstance in life through Jesus Christ. And if we as a people continue to believe, I'm here to tell you and to remind you that Jesus will be glorified glorified in your life, through your family, through your ministry, through your household, through your children. Jesus will be glorified through your life. And from that day on, verse 53, and then let's go ahead and prepare the the Lord's table. And then we're going to pick up with this. And next week as we enter Holy Week, And then it says, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. It was this miracle. It's amazing what mighty miracles accomplish in our life. In this case, Jesus was no longer able to go out publicly, but it was a very intimate time that he spent with his disciples leading up to this holy week, leading up to the events that were going to transpire the road during the road to the cross. This miracle was was time, timing planned perfectly by our Heavenly Father. There's so much to take away from this story. What is the last thing that Jesus told you as we close our eyes and just open our hearts today? As a matter of fact, stand to your feet if you would as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's table today. So many takeaways today as we ask ourselves, what has the Lord spoken to me? Are we steadfast in our believing? Whether it's to be like a runner like Mary, I mean like Martha or a sitter and waiting like Mary. To know that God has a plan and his timing is perfect. So let us be patient. Let us be patient. Let us be patient and wait for him to show up in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you today. Lord, we ask you today. And I just want to pray with you. If you're here in this house and maybe you don't understand fully what the Lord's table is yet, but just listen to me for just the next two minutes with our hearts open, our eyes closed. The Lord's table is a celebration. 
is being obedient to the word of the Lord to do this in remembrance of me. It's, a, it's an anticipation. The Lord's table is an act of faith. Anticipating the return of Jesus for his church, for his people, his people, not all people, his people. And if you're here in this place today, each one of us, each one of us need to, we need to know and we can know that we are his people. If you're at home, you can know that you are the people of the Lord, God's people, a saved people, a set-apart people, a people who are being sanctified by the Word of God, by the washing and the filling of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. You have to open your heart to Jesus. Every person who can hear my voice, hear me today. You have to open your heart to Jesus and believe in Jesus. You have to believe. You have to believe and you will see the glory of God in your life. He will give you new life. He will give you new hope. He will give you a reason to live. He will give you purpose and meaning. He will take a life that is depressed, joyless, and fill you with the peace of God and joy that is beyond your greatest imagination. He will fill you with joy that's unspeakable and full of the glory of God. We must believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God. Hallelujah. Jesus, I invite you. If you need to pray with me today, you say, Pastor, what's the next step? Well, we just all, we step out in this this step of faith and we just invite Jesus. Just like Martha invited Jesus into her home, we invite Jesus into our heart. That is the start. We invite Jesus into our heart. Jesus, you can pray with me. I invite you into my heart. Jesus, I invite you to forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, I invite you to fill my house, fill my life with your presence, with your word, with your plan and your purpose for my life. Jesus, I give you all the glory. Just tell Jesus today, Jesus, I give you all the glory. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Hallelujah, I need you, Lord. Oh, I need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Every single one of us, we need you, Jesus. Be glorified and magnified in our lives. In your mighty name, Lord. Amen. Go ahead and come.
Take your time. Go ahead and come and get the communion elements. This is open to all, anyone who has opened their hearts to Jesus. You can go ahead and come, even if today for the first time. If you're at home, grab some juice, grab a cracker, prepare yourself for the Lord's table. Do it quickly if you're at home.
we just thank you today. Lord, we thank you today. Lord, we give you all the glory. Lord, we give you all the honor today. We bless you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen.